It's Sunday morning. Time for some jazz. Five songs, five stories in the continuing series. Songs and Stories Supplemental Jazz Edition. This is part 43. What was originally supposed to be a one-off turned into something. With a growing audience globally of both this show and the love of jazz, I think we should be celebrating it. There's few things that bring humanity together in this world. Three things definitively bring us together. One that brings us together without any lines of division. Music brings people together, of course. Sport brings people together. But there are divisions among those, too. The one thing that unites all of humanity without any sort of argument at all is food. Now, yes, of course, food is... Well, it can be, it can create divisions, of course, with vegetarianism, veganism, people who are absolute carnivores, such as myself, dietary restrictions, yada, yada, yada. But the thing is this, we all like to sit down together over a nice meal. And if you can can accompany that with some wonderful music, well, you've got yourselves a pretty good combination for a spectacular evening or afternoon, or perhaps a day sitting on the dock of a cottage, or maybe in the backyard by the pool with some family, such as I did just yesterday. So, in this ongoing series, I present to you five more songs and five more stories by five wonderful artists. But today's show, I'm going to change things up a slight little bit. But first off, I want to dedicate this uh, this show to uh, Teresa Lovett Coday, a woman who I have actually yet to meet in person, but she's married to my good friend Mark, and Mark and I have been friends since 1984. So down in the Maritimes, I'm going to send this one out to you, Teresa. I hope you enjoy today's program. I'm going to start things off with uh, a vocal jazz piece which is slightly different. I've featured a couple of vocal pieces, but for the most part, this is an instrumental jazz show. But every now and then, there's a program that I... A program... <laughs> a selection of music, a composition that I just absolutely love and, and want to share it with you. And this particular composition was originally written by uh, Johnny Nash in 1972. It was released and became a big hit for him, globally speaking. Um... Hit the number one on the U.S. Hot Adult Contemporary Tracks in 1972. It was number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. It was number one in Canada on the RPM Top Singles. Number six in the RPM Adult Contemporary. Number one on the Springbok Charts in South Africa. And it uh, peaked at number five in New Zealand in 1972. Was re-released in 1989 and hit number four in the UK. Uh, 54, sorry, on the UK singles charts. Now the, it's been covered a number of times. Um, uh, th- this cover version that I'm going to play for you was released in the same year as a Jimmy Cliff version for the film Cool Runnings. It hit number 18 in the Billboard Hot 100. But this version is recorded and released in 1993 from the Holly Cole Trio's a third album, Don't Smoke in Bed, 
Now this version, um, the video of it was put into heavy rotation on Much Music and was nominated for Juno Award for Best Video. Now the album went platinum in Canada, reached number seven on the Billboard Contemporary Jazz Chart, and won a Juno Award for Best Contemporary Jazz Album in 1994. This is Holly Cole's million-selling speaker rendition of I Can See Clearly Now by Johnny Nash. I can see clearly now Rain is gone I can see
your spirits on a Sunday morning? I don't know what will. The Holly Cole Trio, with their interpretation of I Can See Clearly Now. Now that song, as I said earlier, was a million speaker seller, and uh, I'm not kidding when I say that. The actual number of a million is another question, but every audio-video sales rep in Canada used that song to sell speakers in the early 90s, and tell me, tell you, I will tell you what, it worked. Now, I've been in the audiovisual field for some 34 years now. My goodness, that's, that's a career, isn't it? Uh, no, I can't retire. That's not a possibility. But here's the thing. I've been working in the uh, professional field for, uh, well, since about 1993, I think. Three ninety-three, Yeah, about 1993. I, I used to sell consumer audio, but uh, since 93, I've been solely selling, installing, designing, repairing, servicing, etc., etc. Professional audiovisual products along with networking technologies, video conferencing equipment, yada, 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 right? Every time I demoed a set of speakers in a church, I played that song. The song would get about, I don't know, 35, 40 seconds in, and uh, they would give me the wave. Yes, we're going to purchase these loudspeakers. Thank you very much. Please let the song play. Holly Cole's soaring vocals and uplifting spirit in the manner in which she performs that song with that spectacular bass line and rather ethereal-like piano. It just lifts your soul and your spirit every single time. Okay. To change things up a little, just a slight little bit, I'm going to feature a track um, by the late Alice Coltrane, um, wife of the late John Coltrane. She was a pianist who performed with uh, her husband a number of times in the early 60s. I think it was, uh, well, mid-60s. She performed in 66 and 67. She founded the Vedantic Center in 1975 and the uh, Shanti Antanam Ashram in California in 1983, where she served as a spiritual director. She passed away in 2006, or sorry, 2007, at the age of 69. Now, this particular composition is, well, the, the title of it is... It's it's a little difficult um, to pronounce, and I I know I'm going to screw it up. It's Turiya and Remy Krishna. I hope I got that right. Let's have a listen to this, and then we'll talk about it when we come back. Alice Coltrane. <laughs> Thank you. 
Turiya and Ramakrishna. Alice Coltrane recorded in her basement in Dix Hills, Dix Hills, Long Island. September 1970 release, recorded in January, on actually January 26, 1970. Kind of a one-shot, one-take recording. And this was Alice Coltrane's third release uh, as a solo artist, or band leader, I guess you could say. 1970. The title of the album is Ta, the El Daoud. Now, Turiya and Ramakrishna, um, I'm trying to give you some background for this recording. Uh, the title track, well, the, the name of the album um, is, is for the Egyptian god Ta, the El Daoud, meaning the beloved Ta, the beloved. Turiya, according to uh, Alice Coltrane, was... Uh, it's defined as a state of consciousness, the high state of nirvana, the goal of human life. Whilst Ramakrishna was a 19th century Bengali religious figure, and it was also a, an, a, a denotes a movement founded by his disciples. Now the record was recorded, like I said, in a single day. Did I say that? I don't know. Maybe I just thought it. When I get on a stream of consciousness, things just roll off the tongue, and sometimes I don't pay attention to everything that comes out of my mouth. Terribly sorry about that. But this particular recording, this particular composition, this song, featured um, uh, drummer Ben Riley uh, with uh, playing mostly with brushes and bassist Ron Carter, who I've featured a number of times on this show. Now, on the rest of the album, Joe Henderson and Pharaoh Sanders are featured uh, playing tenor sax, uh, Joe in, in the left track and Pharaoh in the right, or maybe it was vice versa. But they, they stepped away for this recording. They actually aren't recorded on this uh, composition. Many consider this to be one of the finest recordings she ever released. And uh, kind of tapped into some of her late husband's musical jazz vibe, if you will. Rather mystical recording. I I, uh, I find it's a good follow-up to Holly Cole because it just sort of flows together nicely. It's a little bit more downbeat, but has that same sort of ethereal mysticism that just helps to lift your soul. Now, Alice Coltrane passed away, sadly, in uh, 2007, at the age of 69, from respiratory failure. Now, she did have a few years where uh, she kind of faded off into the distance for her recordings. Now, she was quite busy with her um, spiritualistic studies and uh, the Vedantic Center. Uh, Vedant Vedantic Center? I hope I pronounced that correctly. But her, her work did uh, sort of receive um, uh, a bit of a spotlight again as people started to focus on her early works in, in the mid-90s, around 1995. She had a basically a 25-year break prior to that from public performances. She returned to the stage in uh, 2006 at uh, playing a concert at Ann, Ar Ann Arbor's Hill Auditorium. And, well presented by the University Musical Society of the University of Michigan. And that brought her, her music back into the uh, brought back into the limelight, the spotlight. It would have been uh, her late husband's 80th birthday at the time. And like I said, she died of respiratory failure in uh, 2007. 
2007 at the age of 69. She's buried alongside her late husband, John Coltrane, Suffolk County, New York. So if you're not familiar with Alice Coltrane's work, I recommend that you seek it out. Some of it can be a little bit difficult to approach, but much like her late husband, who was an absolute genius, and oftentimes was unapproachable, as in a love supreme, as I've stated before, I, I need to be in the right mood to listen to it, because it can be difficult to digest. But hey, that's jazz. It's not all things to all people, so seek her out. Listen as you please. So changing things up, I'm going to feature a track by an artist that I've not featured in the past. This is the first time I'm playing this artist. So I hope you enjoy Mohawk from J.J. Johnson.
Johnson, trombonist extraordinaire, with his composition, Mohawk. Now that was recorded um, between August 1st and 3rd, 1960, released on April 10th, 1961, from the album J.J. Inc. J.J. was a master of the trombone, and one of the first individuals to really embrace the bebop style. Most musicians at the time thought that um, the trombone was not suited for bebop. Bebop required keys, like a trumpet or a sax. And yet, Dizzy Gillespie thought, well, you know what, dude? You have nailed it. Dizzy, of course, was one of the individuals who developed the style of jazz known as bebop, right from the very beginning. J.J. started out as a pianist at the age of nine, but at the age of 14, he switched to trombone. And we're greater for that decision on his part, because the man absolutely mastered it and changed the style of playing associated with the trombone. Prior to his venture into bebop, the trombone was mostly Dixieland swing style. Like I said, a lot of bebop musicians didn't care for it because they thought valves and keys were more suited to bebop's often rapid tempos and demanded technical mastery. But Dizzy Gillespie uh, strongly encouraged him. He said, you know, I've always known that the trombone could be played different, that somebody catch on one of these days. Man, you're elected. So yeah... Without peer, quite literally, J.J. Johnson had no peers as a trombonist. Everyone literally looked up to him. He uh, was quite the individual. He, he, uh, in 58 and 59, he was one of three plaintiffs in a court case which hastened, uh, hastened the abolition of the cabaret card system. Now, the cabaret card system was... Uh, it was a New York City ID card required by all workers, including uh, performers in nightclubs, from Prohibition up until 1967. Now, many performers uh, had their cabaret card uh, revoked, and that basically ended their livelihood. They couldn't perform live without their cabaret card. Some of those artists, well, Chet Baker, Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, Jackie McLean, Billy Holiday, all suspended uh, because of drug charges. So as I said, they, they, they felt that it was unfair. As, you know, it's told you in the past on previous shows that J.J. McLean's card was suspended for a number of years, so he spent um, a couple of decades in the studio. J.J. was, like I said, one of the plaintiffs and, and, and really did help to end the whole cabaret card system, which was, you know, basically a Jim Crow-style law. The man was a prolific composer. And the album that featured the track um, you just heard, Mohawk, was his um, favorite sextet. He said he he had uh, assembled an incredible lineup of young talent. So Freddie Hubbard on the trumpet, Clifford Jordan was the tenor sax, Cedar Walton on piano, Arthur Harper double bass, and Albert Heath on the drums. Of course, J.J. was the band leader on the trombone. 
Now, the album was re-released as a compact disc. The original album only had six cuts, but the CD version had three additional bonus tracks. I suggest you seek it out. It's um, probably his most highly regarded recording. J.J. Inc. J.J. Johnson Sextet. Sextet. Wow. Yeah, time for the third cup of coffee, I think. I'm a little bit... um, a little bit logy this morning. I kind of slept in a little bit. Oh, liquid gold, that black, black, black coffee. Get it into you. Makes you feel better. Start your day off on the proper note. Yeah, I slept in a little bit this morning. I um, woke up at 3 a.m., and I've been doing that lately, and I have no idea why. Maybe it's the witching hour. I don't know. And then was able to fall back to sleep sometime around 4.30. So when my alarm went off, at, I set my alarm for 6 on the weekends. I allow myself an extra hour of sleep, although I usually wake up at 5 a.m. anyway. But the alarm went off at 6, and I just... Uh, I, I was lying there sort of in a, in a state of dazed confusion and thought, I'm just going to lay here for a little bit longer before I crawl out of bed and get to work on today's show. Anyway... Enough about me. This show is not about me. This show is about jazz. And let's feature an artist who I've not uh, not played before. This is uh, Gene Ammons. I hope I pronounced his, his surname correctly. From the album Boss Tenor. This is the Rudy Van Geldert remastered edition of Hitting the Jug. Thank you. 
yeah. How's that for a smooth jazz on a Sunday morning? Boss Tenor is the name of the album. The track, Hitting the Jug. The Rudy Van Gelder remastered edition. Now that recording was uh, put together in a single day, June 16th, 1960, at the Van Gelder studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. The only horn on that recording is, of course, Gene Ammons, the boss tenor as he was well known, hitting the jug. Of course, that record also featured Tommy Flanagan on piano, Doug Watkins on bass, Art Taylor on the drums, and Ray Barretto, not featured on that composition, but he was playing the Congos on a few other compositions on that album. One of his most highly regarded recordings Gene Ammons. Now, Gene was uh, well-known throughout the jazz world. His uh, father was boogie-woogie pianist Albert Ammons. So his music was steeped in soul and R&B. An absolute brilliant player. Unfortunately, he passed away at the tender age of 49 from bone cancer. Now, Gene recorded with a number of uh, contemporary artists, featuring a few such as Donald Byrd, Jackie McLean, John Coltrane, Kenny Burrell, Art Farmer, and Duke Jordan, just to name a few. He, uh, he had actually replaced Stan Getz as a member of uh, Woody Herman's Second Herd in 1949. And then in 1950, he formed a duet with Sonny Stitt. The 50s were a pretty prolific period for uh, Mr. Ammons. And uh, he had a, a, a massive amount of uh, recordings during that time. His catalog is, well, it's extensive, and he worked as both a sideman, a band leader, and, and has a number of recordings with Sonny Stitt. You can find them all, of course, on the Spotify, which is where I gather a lot of my jazz. Now, I do like to sort through the bins of some local record stores, the record center being my favorite here in Ottawa, the nation's capital. And if you're looking for audio equipment, the record center has an outstanding selection of both new and used gear. And no, I'm not getting paid to say that. I just happen to like the place a lot, and I think the guy who owns and operates is just a swell individual all around. So if you are in the nation's capital and you're looking for some jazz records or some sound equipment, if you're looking to get a vintage stereo system, a used system, or some new equipment. I highly recommend the Record Center on Wellington Street in Westboro. Okay. I've got one more recording for today, the fifth song for today's show. And this is a 2006 uh, Rudy Van Gelder digital remaster of um, the song Say Your Mind from Donald Byrd from the album The Catwalk, um, recorded in 1961 and released in February of 1962. This is, uh, well, this, this, is, this is one of my favorite recordings of all time. Have a listen to this. I hope you'll love it as much as I do.
Say You're Mine by Donald Byrd. Now, that was taken from the album The Catwalk, uh, recorded May 2nd, 1961, and released February of 1962. Of course, recorded at the Van Gelder Studios in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Absolutely spectacular album. Now, that's, that particular track, Say Your Mine, was originally written by Duke Pearson. Now the album, or the recording, I should say, features, of course, Donald Byrd on trumpet, uh, Pepper Adams, baritone sax, Duke Pearson on piano, Lehman Jackson on the bass, and Philly Joe Jones, the great Philly Joe Jones on the drums. Absolutely brilliant record, and um, basically five stars across the board, with the exception of the Rolling Stone Jazz Record Guide, but, you know, take uh, anything they say with a grain of salt. At least that's my personal opinion. And on this show, it's the only one that matters because it's my show. <laughs> of course, the, 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 the late, great Donald Byrd, um, brilliant uh, trumpeter, vocalist, rhythm and blues, jazz, sideman for a multitude of um, jazz musicians throughout generations. One of the rare bebop jazz musicians who successfully explored both funk and soul while remaining a jazz artist. He was a heavy influence on the early career of Herbie Hancock. Hancock uh, recalled that uh, Donald Byrd helped him in many ways, and he, he encouraged him to make his, uh, his first album for Blue Note. He turned Hancock's tune Watermelon Man into a chart-topping hit. Byrd later urged him to accept Miles Davis' offer to join his quintet. So, yeah, absolute master of the trumpet. And and an influence who's very much still very felt today. He passed away at the age of 80 in uh, February of 2013. 
the late great Donald Byrd from his brilliant album, The Catwalk. Okay, so that brings us to the end of today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly uh, enjoyed recording it and putting it together. And I hope, uh, wherever you are listening in this world, that you have a wonderful Sunday. Or perhaps it's Monday. I don't know where you are. Um, A friend of mine just landed in Tokyo to cover the Olympics for the next two months. Both the Olympics and the Paralympics. So, Devin, if you're listening, I hope you enjoyed this show. Get some sleep, buddy. I'm sure you're probably pretty, uh, pretty tired because there's a... There's a 14-hour time difference, so it's already, what is it, about 11 p.m. in, uh, it's 9 a.m. here in, in Ottawa, Canada. I think it's about 11 p.m. in Tokyo right now. So get some rest. You're going to need it, buddy. And Teresa, I hope you enjoyed today's program. So until we meet again, my friends, wherever you are in this world, take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.